Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to be with us, guide us, lead us, help us to see what you would want us to see from this, this time. And we just thank you for your spirit that leads and teaches us in all that we do. And just ask for that for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 69. Maybe we'll finish it tonight. I'm going to read the whole psalm to start with. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods over, overflow me. I am weary of my crying. Out of, my throat is dry. My ears fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I, then I restore that which I took not away. O oh God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from you. Let, them, let not them that wait on you, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek you be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for your sake have I borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I, I am become as a stranger unto my brother and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach you are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, and was to, it, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I made a pro, and became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was a song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto you, O Lord, an acceptable, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercies, hear me. In the truth of your salvation, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. Let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear, O Lord, my, for the, your loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitudes of your tender mercy. And hide not your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You have known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for some, I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my mead, meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which... Should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continue to shake. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let, them, and let none dwell in their tents. For they prosecute him who you have smitten, and they talk to the grief of those who you have wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come unto your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written in, the, in with the righteousness. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live shall live that seek God. For the Lord hears the poor and despises not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas, everything that moves therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah, and they, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. 
The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. All right, we left off at verse 16, so we're going to go back to 16. Hear, O Lord, my, for your loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Okay, David's just been griping about, you know, being in a bad place and, you know, feeling like being flooded over because of all the bad. But then he goes, hear me, O God, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitudes of your tender mercy. David understood God better than most Old Testament saints. He knew that God cared for him. He knew that God loved him. In spite of all that he had done wrong, and David more than anybody was aware of how much he had done wrong and how much God should have judged him, because you think about this, he committed adultery. Adultery was a capital offense. He committed murder, premeditated murder, which is a capital offense. He knew, and then God says, well, I'm not killing you. I'm going to forgive you. We think about that. How much God loves us and cares for us and how much mercy he's got out there and how much he just cares. And he wants to find good. He wants to find good in us. He wants to do good for us. And he goes on in verse 17, And hide not your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. He knew that God should hide from him. If God was going to honor everything that he did, you know, the laws that he put in, he deserved to be hidden from. He deserved not to hear from God. He deserved to be dead. And he's saying, hear me speedily, God. I'm in trouble. Come to me because of your mercy. We need to understand the love of God and his mercy. The fact that he loves us is so great. The fact that he wants to forgive us, that he wants to have fellowship with us. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe wanting to be in fellowship with us. So much so that Jesus died so that he could. I love how much God loves us. And it, we need to just learn how much he loves us in spite of what we deserve, in spite of what we think about ourselves, he loves us. He wants us to see, see ourselves differently. And David is saying, come to me, come to me, hide not, come to me. And he says, do it speedily. Come to me speedily. God, I need you, come, come help, you're my defender. And we think about this, God is being our defender. And we don't think too much about that in this day and age, but in the old days, before you had police, before you had all this other stuff, your defender was usually a family member or a warrior, a warrior within the town. Most, most women had some one or more people that were their defenders. And those people looked out for them and they would be there speedily. And this is the picture that David's saying, God, you're my defender. I'm in trouble. Get, get over here, basically. Get over here and do, do the defending. And we see that here and he's saying this. And it says, draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. Draw near. Draw near to me. Draw near to my soul specifically. And soul is that very inner part of who we are. And then it says, redeem. And this is talking about the kinsman redeemer. Lord, I've been sold into slavery. I don't have enough to pay my bills. I need somebody to pay. God, be my redeemer. 
We're born as sinners. We, we need a redeemer to buy us back. And David's saying, be my redeemer, God. Be my redeemer. I, I don't deserve it. I don't need, I, I can't, I, I deserve to be punished. Everything is gone. <laughs> Redeem me. Redeem my soul. Deliver me because of my enemies. And David had lots of enemies. We, we, read, this, we read the story of David, and we all, you know, usually we kind of think David, you know, David's the king, he's the mighty king, and, but he had lots of enemies. And David did not do too good in political intrigue. He was a soldier. You know, he was good at meeting an enemy up front. <laughs> You know, you, you want to go to battle, let's get our shields and swords out and we'll have battle. But when it came to the political intrigue, he didn't do very well. And you see that over and over. He was not a very good. He didn't walk the political intrigue very well. He started out with Goliath. Goliath could have flushed him with his foot, with one step. And he told him, off. who do you think you are to stand up there and talk like that about my God? Yeah. But when it comes to battle, you know, squaring off one-on-one, on, one on one, David was good. If it's going to go to physical battle, David, David had it. But Joab continually out, outflanked him. Saul, before he even became king, totally outflanked him on all. Of course, at that time, David wasn't trying to get there. But Joab's making life difficult. Absalom made life difficult for him. You know, he was always having difficulties in the court. What does that word political mean? Political? Just the same thing we see in Washington and everything. Things oh, are so done. You don't, you, don't go, you don't go out there yeah. and have fisticuffs and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to knock you out and I win. No, you've got to win by subterfuge, by words, by outflanking. Uh, we look at Daniel. Uh, when Daniel and Darius were there and the people and the leaders didn't like Daniel and they couldn't find anything wrong with him to accuse him, so what did they do? They outflanked Daniel by getting the king to sign this decree, saying that if anybody makes a prayer for 30 days to, to anybody but the king, they'd be in the, in the lion's den. And that's political. That's that political intrigue. That's, that's what's going on. And David didn't do well with that stuff. He had lots of enemies in the court that he did not do well. Now, if he could take a sword and shield out, he'd, be, he'd beat them and win. Because that's the kind of man he was. He was, he was, you know, he was a leader. He was a leader of men. But when it came to the getting them to do what he wanted to do, you know, through words, like you know. Is, like, to me, would it be like you're not saying the right words or the right words to the people that you're trying to It's a different type of battle. It was a different battlefield. It was a different battlefield. It's not, not necessarily wrong or, correct. it's not necessarily no, wrong or right. Word. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just, it was a battlefield of words and thoughts and ideas. And he didn't do well in that battle, in that, in that field of conflict with people. So he had all kinds of enemies. And he also had physical enemies, too, as well. But he, he, he knew how to handle those. You just go out with the army, you take your sword and shield out, and, and you kill them. <laughs> you know, when, when you're being come against by your, by your, your counselors and, your, and the guys who are supposed to be supporting you, and they're kind of working behind the scenes to make deals with other people, and, and, and he did not do well in that, in that arena. You know, you couldn't take your counselor out and kill him because he didn't... <laughs> Didn't totally agree with well, him. Technically, he's king. He could have, but that's not what you, you'd have a very hard time finding counselors if you killed all your counselors. Mm -hmm. no, uh, counselor. I'm not going to be his counselor. If I say anything he doesn't like, he's going to kill me. Uh, so David had lots of enemies. He had the physical enemies. He had the political enemies. He had all of that going on. Even though he was king, there were still enemies. Verse 19. Now here we're starting to switch, and these next couple of verses we're switching from David back to Messianic 
description. How do you tell which is Macy? I mean, I've got a little star beside each one of them to show me this is Messianic, but how do you know without that star? You know because you study Jesus' life and you read the verse, and sometimes it says clearly this was, and you read the verse and you go in the, the Gospels and it was there. Yeah. Uh, so that tells you it was Messianic. Here, we just know Jesus' life. This is talking about is in the last week of his life. So much of this is his last week. But he slides it in so slick until mm -hmm. I don't think about it being Jesus. You're like, whoa, wait a minute now. Yeah. And that's why most of it is the more you know your Bible and you start reading these verses and say, hey, this sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in chapter 22, we talked about him saying, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? That's very clearly Jesus speaking on the cross, being set up in there for a Messianic psalm, and plus a lot of other verses in that psalm. So a lot of it is just knowing, and as you, your, your Bible cheats by putting a little star there saying it's a Messianic uh, statement. Uh, sometimes, uh, like the Thompson chain, oftentimes will have this is a Messianic, Messianic uh, statement. Uh, different study Bibles will have that kind of information in it. Other than that, you do the same thing that they did, the scholars did, you know, to find them. You, you read Jesus' life and say, oh, this verse is about Jesus' life, and you go, Messianic. Mine doesn't have any of that. Yeah, a lot of them don't. Yeah. I can take a lot of that out now that I study, that I study and not just read. I can pick a lot of The more you study the scriptures, the more you're going to see the Messianic Old Testament scriptures. And Sometimes it's just you, you spend enough time with teachers who teach you also this is a Messianic scripture and you can put your own marks in your Bible that, that is Messianic. So, uh, but a lot of it is just knowing, just knowing the word and knowing the story of Jesus so well that when you see the number, these things come out. So we look at this, it says, You have known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before me. And again, we're, talking, we're starting to shift into Jesus. And David's saying the same thing. Hey, God, you know, you know, you know all the stuff that's going on. My reproach, the scorn, the taunts that they're giving me. And Jesus endured scorn all of his public ministry from the, from the religious leaders. And why were the religious leaders against him? Because he basically said, you're following the, you're following the ways of man instead of God. And even to this day, there are so many churches that follow the ways of man more than they follow God. And it can be anywhere from the way they do service. I mean, how we talked about this back a while ago. Why do we meet at 11 o'clock on, on Sundays? Yeah. It's interesting to know. And it was because of Martin Luther. He, wanted, he was told he had to have a service in the morning, and because he stayed up late on Saturday night, he picked the the closest hour to noon so that he could sleep as long as he could on Sunday morning after having been at the bar, at the pub all, all Saturday night. So we meet at 11 o'clock. And yet he was so great until they named the whole church system after him. <laughs> well, his teachings were pretty good overall. But there's so much we do in church that we think are biblically based that have nothing to do with the Bible. And we want to be careful when, at times that we say, what is important, what isn't important? And it's very interesting when we, when we look at this. Music is one of those things that everybody gets all hung up and bent out of shape over. Because music is so different from generation to generation. And even in this room, we have a couple generations, and each one of us can probably remember a different music for our 
that we grew up you know, with our world enjoying. And it wasn't so long ago that, that music was done without, without instruments. Yeah. And if you put instruments in there, you were, you, were, you were sinful. Even though the Bible talks all about instruments. All kinds. All kinds of instruments, a whole orchestra. So we want to be careful that what we do is we look at the Bible and say, what does the Bible truly say about mm -hmm. something? And one of my favorite questions when somebody says, the Bible says this, I'll ask them where quite often. Because I want people to think about this. And when, especially when they're, when they're saying something that's not right, but then if I do it often enough with somebody, I may start asking them just, just to see if they know, even when they're right, do you know? Do you know where it says this? Because there is so much we think is in the Bible that is not there. And it's because we've been taught that it's there. You know, or we think that it's there. Or we heard some pastor you know, 30 years ago say it and got stuck in our mind that it's there. Uh, and it's, or we've interpreted something in, in some way. But it's very important for us to look at the scriptures. And this is why I say, I want everybody in this church to be good Bereans. Go into the scriptures and study. Why? Is it true? Is it correct? And look at it. We use a very good curriculum, but not every word of that curriculum is going to be 100% true at times. So we need to be careful that that curriculum is checked out. Is it accurate? It, because they have speculation. We all come to the scriptures with certain preconceived ideas as well. And when we read the scriptures, we'll bring our preconceived ideas into them. Uh, I've had a habit of reading and write, uh, writing for school and everything. And I would, after I've written out a paper, I will put the paper away for 10 to 12 hours or more. Then I will go back and reread the paper because if I try to read it right after I've written, I read, I read what I think I wrote rather than what I wrote. Now, and I know I'm not the only person that does that kind of stuff. Now, isn't it true that a lot of, we all saw pathologists reading it for the direction of music of David. Seems like Psalms is, is it, doesn't that mean a lot of music? Psalm means music. Yeah. These were all sung. This was the, so, this basically was the Jewish hymn book originally. Because I always wonder why they say that this is for the director of music to all the tunes of the Lily of David. And like, and so on the, just the top of the, each thing. Mm -hmm. They're just instructions. They're instructions to who it was written to and, and, so and it's, it's so music. I, I just wonder what that really, really This is all music. It's given direction. Telling them what sometimes it's telling them what instruments to be played, and we don't fully. A lot of times they don't even know what many of those words in the top section mean, because most of the scholars who wrote the dictionaries and the lexicons weren't in, uh, weren't music, you know, didn't understand the musical terms, and it's just like uh, uh, one time on the radio they were doing an advertisement from a window company, and they were talking about all the different pieces of the curtains and the ballast and all the other stuff that they call. And the one person from New Zealand goes, well, in New Zealand, we don't have these, those names for curtains. And I'm going, you have the names for curtains. You just don't know them in your, in your vocabulary. Because if you think about this, every, everything has its own jargon, their own specific words. Uh, sewer, you know, when you're a seamstress, you have all kinds of different words that mean something. And you could be talking right in front of somebody, and they're not going to have a clue what you're talking, business people talk and, talk and use words all the time that people listening to them like, what the heck are they talking about? Automotive is going to be the same way. <laughs> and the thing to be careful of ourselves, Christians do the same thing. 
We have words that are Christian words that we use that mean, if you know the definition, mean great things and are the right word. But if you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian and you use those words, it doesn't mean anything to them. So we need to be careful when we talk to the lost world what words we use. You know, what does it mean to be saved? We understand what it means to be saved. The, the world doesn't know what that means. So we want to be careful. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We, that is powerful to us. But that doesn't mean a thing to the lost world. They need to know that they're a lost, that they're a lost sinner, that they are a sinner. They do things wrong. They need to know that they deserve punishment. And we can say these words that tie them all up in nice little words, and we, and we know what they mean. And one of the things I do when I use a Christian word, even in a group, is a lot of times I'll ask, do you know what that means? When I use a nice big word like sanctification, to be made perfect, many, many Christians will use those kind of words and never know what they mean. To be justified, that means to be declared perfect by God. And, we, and so many times I've talked with Christians, and most Christians don't even know what some of these words mean, and they use them. Could justify mean be pure to? No. Okay. It means to be declared perfect. Oh. It's a legal term. Uh, we can be, we are sanctified, we are being made more perfect. And then we will be glorified when we die, and that means that we are made who God said we are, perfect. Which would be pure at that point. Now, as we're being sanctified, we are becoming more and more pure, and our life is becoming more and more cleaned out. But we're going to spend our entire walk on this earth, from the time we get saved to the time we die, being sanctified, being made perfect. And this is why the longer you walk with God, the more perfect your life should become. Then I should walk with him 150 more years. <laughs> Well, I agree. I mean, it's, it takes a long time, and we will never be perfect. No, I don't expect perfection, yeah. but sometimes I wonder more. And the sad thing is, the more we walk with God, the more, we, the more God shines a light down into our soul, the more we realize how evil we really are. Mm -hmm. When we start getting rid of all the, the visible things, the things that most people think are sins, you know, the, the, the language, the lying, the, the outward things, then God starts shining it down into our heart and says, here's your, here's your thought life. Here, here's your areas that you're having problems in your thinking. And we go, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I've talked about this. When, when Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, I used to, as a teenager, I'm going, this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, he had this problem when he tried to kill the Christians. But overall, he, was a, he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he's, his life was outwardly put together. Outwardly put together. He knew the law. He outwardly showed all the signs of the law. But I truly believe he had walked so close to God that he started really seeing how sinful he was how sinful he was. And this is important for us. As we draw closer and closer to God, instead of thinking, oh, how good I am, we start looking deep into our heart and say, boy, how awful I am. Because God really shows us who we are in our flesh and says, there's lots down there. What are we going to fish out of there next to, co to correct? And he keeps working out and he keeps oh, working out. You know, when Paul came to know Jesus Christ when he met him, 
and he realized what he'd been doing, thinking that he was doing God's will. Oh, it would have been hard. It would have been very hard. And I've met people who have gone after Christians, maybe not as bad as he did with physical, but really gone after them and gotten saved and realized some of the damages they've done. They had to suffer the guilt. Oh, there's a lot of guilt involved in that until you start accepting your forgiveness. And this is why forgiveness is so important because it's the only thing that truly releases us. To truly understand that God loves us and wants to forgive us allows us to be able to forgive ourselves and move beyond. Because you can get, as everybody knows, if you're unforgiving of something, it paralyzes you. If you're unforgiving toward a person and that person shows up, all of a sudden your spirituality goes out the window and you're just, you're, you're, you're going to be tense, you're going to be angry. And if you're, if you're of that spirit, you might be wanting to, to strike out and attack them. You might want to run and flee from them. <coughs> Forgiveness is so important. Sit down and forgive. It's but isn't important. it better to run and flee from and not say anything? Sometimes. If it's going to be physical damage physical, on it. But, but worldly. Don't say anything. Yeah, if, 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 you can't, if you can't stop yourself from speaking, it would be better to be away from them. Yeah. But it would be better even further to, to grow up in Christ and be able to stay silent and to say kind things to them. Make yourself look intelligent if you stay quiet, right? That's what it says. That's the, you know, it's better to not say anything and look, look smart than to open your mouth and prove that you're not. Uh, but it is important for us. We will always have individuals that we have a hard time with. Always. They will always be there. And our... God wants to work with us to learn forgiveness enough to say, God, I can, I can allow you to work in my life. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's very tough sometimes. But the mark of the spiritual person is that, that love of God flowing out of them. Because if we always run from our problems, that's not good. It's not good to always be running from a problem. Because you'll, you start that and you'll always run from a problem. Every time things get tough, you'll be running. But if it's only a certain problem? If it's one individual, then it, let's put it this way. Anything that keeps you from doing what God wants you to do, you will always find that. Always. And I've said this, you know, I know people who get sick every Sunday. Every Sunday morning, they'll be sick. Because Satan knows that all he's going to do is throw a little bit of pain at them and they won't come to church. And there are people that have a certain type of person they have a problem with. And they can switch churches all they want. And that person, that, maybe not that same person, but that type of person is going to show up to make it hard on them. It just happens. Satan learns our weaknesses and he's going to make sure that he puts that person on. And God will allow him to be put into our place because he wants us to grow beyond that. And so it, it is something we need to help. And it's God that helps us get through it. Believe me. You know, we, I understand the idea of wanting to strike out at people. I understand the, the idea of wanting to run from a problem. I never really, I never think of striking out or doing any harm. Just mainly not being around them so I don't make it worse or say anything. I would rather run. I mean, not on everything, but on certain things. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, because yeah. I think 
does my opinion God make me want me to do certain run because he knows I'm not strong enough on certain areas yet. He wants you to be allow him to be your defense and let him be the one that can help you in front yeah. of that person. And running may not be the thing to do. It may be just letting God work through you. And it's hard. Believe me, I understand it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And, but it is under, let's go to verse 19 because it helps. You have known my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversary is all around me. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, for, and for comforters, but I found none. We oftentimes will feel that way. When we're still, if we're not, especially if we're not looking to God for our help, God, I'm looking for somebody to help me, and there's nobody here. Because God does not want us standing upon other people with their help. Now, He will give us at times as we're learning to grow people to help us. But there will be a time when He says, It's time now for you to stand in me, not stand up by yourself. And it's the same thing we do when we teach our kids to ride bikes. You know, usually we might put it, you know, sometimes nowadays you put training wheels on them. But I remember when I first started, there was no such thing. You had mom and dad standing behind you holding, or big brother or somebody holding on to the back of the back of the bike so you didn't fall over. And then when they let go, you looked back and saw that they let go and you fell over. <laughs> and then you started back up again and they held on to your bike. And, you know, after a while you look back and they weren't holding on, you fell over. <laughs> then after a while you're saying, look, oh, my bike, I just want to ride this thing. It's the same type of thing. God will start us out with somebody who can help us, just hold us up and, and help us. But there will come that time when God says, I want you to stand in me by yourself. But if you do that a lot, and then I finally get comes out and try to help, and then it backfires on me. So then that really puts you in a, when I have nobody else. I have God, yes. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, that's why I run a lot because when I do finally try to get somebody that I that I know can help, then it backfires on me. You let God be your help is the biggest one. God God will be your biggest help on it. And it's believe me, I understand the problems of falling down and having trouble and making decisions, but the only way you really will ever grow is to keep working on that situation and, and walking through it. And if it's trying not to say the wrong things to the, to people, and believe me, I understand. My tongue is just as sharp as everybody else's, or at least the desire to be as sharp as everybody else's. When somebody says something to me, I immediately want to you know, talk back, and I have the education to be able to really give it back to them if I wanted to. Snap back. And snap at and, and, and attack. I'm really controlling my tongue a lot, because I mean, years ago, no. But now, yes, yep. I have And most of us will get in trouble more often with our tongue than anything else. Because we speak without thinking, we speak without letting God guide it. And when I when I can when I let go when I let go, I'm not going to curse everybody or even be mean a lot of times. But I can I can say things that are so sarcastic that will drive people drive people away. And God is teaching me to not be that way. He is teaching me not to 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 try as much as possible. And believe me, I I've made so many problems over the years. And I think that word you use sarcastic. I don't. I really try not to, I really, not saying I don't 100%, but 99%, I don't test, but 
sarcastic? Yes, I'm good at that, maybe. You mean sarcasm? <laughs> See, I, most of the jokes that I would try, if I tried to tell jokes, would be jokes based on sarcasm. Yes. So I do not, I do not tell jokes because sarcastic jokes can go bad really quick. New Yorkers should get it, but. People aren't from New York won't get it. Well, it's not just New Yorkers, but no, it's just it's no, sarcasm. Sarcasm has to be caught, and if you don't get it, you'll get in trouble with sarcasm. And <laughs> yeah. and we want to be so careful. And it, it it's really just letting God's love pour through us. And the more we attach to His love, the more we're going to be kind to people. The more we're going to try to lift them up and not cause dissension. But it's a skill that takes a long time to learn. And we will never completely learn it. But the, we should be getting better and better over this. And you should be able to look back over your life and say, do I love people more now than I did before? And do they know it? And I can remember as God started showing me to love people, you know how much it hurts to love somebody? To really love somebody and, and then, and then watch them not do what you know they should be doing or not do, what you're trying to help them to do, and you know that it is what they should be doing and they don't do it, especially for somebody that is a teacher or a pastor, and you start thinking, how many times do I have to say this before people will start lear learning it? And you can't say that to people. You have to love them and just say, I'm going to keep teaching it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep saying it until it finally sinks in. Because I think about how much God had to finally say things to me before it finally sunk in. Because I'm hard-headed. I really am. I'm a very hard-headed, stubborn person. And I know that God has had to speak over and over and over and over into my, into my life before I hear things sometimes. I'm getting better. My head is getting a little softer <laughs> up there for... You're shrinking a little bit. You're shrinking. Is that what it is? Shrinking. <laughs> Maybe, maybe all your information is disappearing and there's new stuff that can fit in there. I don't know. But, but God is, the more we practice it, the, the more we start responding to him. And it's just learning. It really is just to learn. And God is saying, I'm there. And he wants to help us. And when our, when our instincts are, are, are screaming at us, you know, fight back, attack this person, use your words against this person, say this, you know, that's going to cut them down to size because they deserve it, or run away from the problem. Maybe running can be the right thing, but if you get too much into running, it becomes a habit and you run away from all the problems, and that's not a good place either. And this I is why we got to be careful. There is. There is a time to come. There is a time for confronting, but we want to be do it. The only time you want to confront is if you can do it in love. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not worth confronting. I'm glad you finished that because I, wasn't thought, I wouldn't have thought of it. But not only with love, there's time and place. Mm -hmm. In the middle of a crowd of people, when it could go sour, what, even though that's not what your intentions are, that's not the time and the place. It should never be in a crowd. It should never really be in front of people because... It can, it can hurt the people around you. So leaving that account. situation till it's a better time is not It's running. not running away. It's being practical. No, it's, it's, there is a time to stay silent. Um, there's actually more time to stay silent than there is to, to make comment. And this is, this is very important for us. Mm. You see, so, that's why I don't have a tail. I've stuck my tail between my legs and run so many times it fell off. 
That's not true. Right, so we're going to continue here in, in the <laughs> crucifixion picture. Verse 21. They gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is Jesus on the cross crying out, I thirst. And what did they do when he cried out, I'm thirst? They went to give him the gall, yep. the vinegar with the, with the... And basically what they were giving him was an antiseptic and saying, we're going to take some of your pain away. And Jesus didn't want the pain blunted because he needed to suffer all of our pain. And we, I can't even imagine what that means to suffer all the pain for all the sin and all the diseases. Only he could have done that because he was God. And he took all sin upon him, all the guilt for sin, all the pain for sin. And he says right here, this is a Messianic prophecy saying that they, that they gave me the, the gall and the, and the vinegar. Verse 22, let their table become a snare for them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. This is kind of an interesting thought that David is proposing here. God, let their very food, when they sit down for dinner, let that be a snare for them. That's an interesting place because oftentimes if we leave people in God's hands, the guilt, the conviction will come upon them. God is good at being able to convict people of what they're doing. He doesn't need me to be getting in the midst of there and saying, now you shouldn't be saying that, you shouldn't be doing that. Now if I can do it in love and I've got a relationship with the person, I will sometimes say something. But for the most part, I'm not going to say something to somebody because I want them to learn from God as much as anything else. But as you're learning and you're teaching, I'm not going to go up to a stranger that I see you know, committing some sin and say, no, God says don't do that. <laughs> now, they're going to look at me and say, well, who are you? They might show you who I am too. You know? <laughs> but... To somebody who's a real good friend or somebody that I've poured my life into, to be able to go up to them and say, you know, you're making some bad decisions. You're making some, some wrong, wrong directions. Knowing that it's in love, they, they might not even like it at that time. I've had people come in and say, Ralph, you shouldn't be doing such and such. And you know, my first response is always just like everybody else. So who, who, who are you to tell me that? You know, uh, now, if I really know that they love me, it's going to temper my response and saying, okay, they love me. I better consider what they've said. And believe me, I've had those times when my flesh just flares up and says, well, who are you to tell me that such a thing? I may not say it to them, but inside I'm like, who do, you, who do they think they are? Why would they say something? And then you start thinking about it and going, hmm, it kind of makes some sense. Okay, in the beginning I had an interesting situation. Which at the time you were my Sunday school director, it allowed me the privilege of saying what I thought, and then telling me what you thought, and let me let, let it lay there. Both of you did, and there were times it offended me, especially in the teaching area. But boy, it didn't take long for that to. Well, this, he's not criticizing me negatively. He's teaching me. And I need to listen to this, and I need to learn. Now I'll call you on the phone. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. 
<laughs> but, but I need a direction that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And we all need people that can do that in our lives. Yes. We all need a discipler that, that we can say, I've got this issue, or that can come to us and say, uh, you need to really straighten up. You're going the wrong direction. And if we don't have that person in our life, we're not going to grow as fast as we should have. Can we figure all this stuff out on our own? Yeah, I could take my Bible up and I could go and I could never show up to church, never, never listen to another pastor, and I can grow slowly. <laughs> or I can take the people who have been around for a while, listen to their advice, listen to their guidance, get into the Word, listen to other pastors teach, and grow faster. And too many people in churches are trying to grow without really listening to anybody else. Is there a thing on the phone or the um, computer where you could ask questions like that? Because oh. we have nobody to ask. I mean, how lots of we? lots of radio shows that have that. There's a radio show every yeah, afternoon on both on both CSN and on the the way radio. That you call up and ask a pastor if you can get through, but uh, you can't get through that. No, you usually have to call on the pastor. You're calling this week, and it's just between you and him. The next week, they air it on the show. They for, for those shows, but, 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 you know, oh, if I you really, if you, yeah. if you're, if, I mean, I'm always available. All you got to do is call me up or send an email. I mean, I'll, I'll respond to any, any questions, but, but that is actually how, but see, I also have people that I go to. If I have questions or I want to, you know, check things out, I've got the people I go to. Now I'm discipling a lot of a number of people, but I'm also I've got the people that I that I go to and say, hey, you know, this is, you know, what do you think about this? Or God showed me this. What do you think about this? But each one of us needs to have that person. Who do we go to when we have a question? See, I can't ask my good good friends because I did a couple times, and that was like jaw all new can of worms because yeah. she's seven day Adventist. No, you don't want her I to be. You don't want her. You don't want her to be your advisor, but you. I, had, I did at first, but I didn't realize there was such a big difference. Yeah. There is a big difference, and I learned to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, but it's very important that we have people. Number one, who who do we go to for questions, and then who are we helping to grow? We all need people in our lives that we are helping to grow. Even if you just got saved, there's somebody you know a little something more than they know. And you, and you, when you first saved, you may not be a discipler, but you know, shortly thereafter, you should be having somebody in your life that you're 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 helping to grow. And for most of us, it can be simple. You know, who are our nieces, our nephews, our children, our grandchildren, whoever it might busy. be? Huh? They're all too busy. <laughs> <laughs> They're on their cell phone. So. Verse 23, let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually shake. I like this picture. God, my enemies basically make them blind. Don't let them see. And then on here, and let their loins continually shake. Their knees are knocking. They're so afraid. I like that one. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting place. You know, David, David's a little vindictive here. And we look up at David, David is one, and David's being vindictive here. Oh, no. Oh, he, where do you get down here to 28? Yeah, we're going to get there. That's the ultimate. It says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. David is really calling down curses. David had a, a lot of precatory prayers. God, get them. <laughs> but that's the type of man David is. 
But that's why he wasn't a real good political. This is true. You know, go on, God, get them. I don't care what they're doing. Go get them. You know, he had he had no subtlety when it comes to dealing with people. And the man come to him thrilled to death because he killed his enemy Saul and yeah. saw his son Jonathan dead. And Saul said, and he said, "You are proud of that? Yep. No trial. Just chopped him in half." Yeah. So, but David it is really calling down a lot of anger. And this is the way David, but this is, the, this is David, he's a warrior. His way of dealing with people is just, you know, let's just go to the battlefield and let's go beat each other up and the last one standing is the winner. And this is how he prays to God. God, go get them. They're, they're trying to take me down, you just go get them for me. As you're learning these songs I say that a lot. from someone who's never really been into songs, as you know I wasn't, it helps to understand that about him to understand the hymn that wrote these mm -hmm. and why his attitude, as godly as he was, that God said, I'm going to spare you after what you've done. I love you so much. Yeah. The thing I like about this is in the middle of these, David gets with this precatory purse, but he almost always comes back to God and flips, flips it back around. Mm -hmm. after, he's, after he's voiced his complaints and his go get them gods, he kind of, okay, God, you know, let's, let's get down to business here. No, don't do this. Okay, and this is important for us because it really, David speaks what we think. Most of us will think, this person is hurting me, God, go get him. God, I want you to, you know, number one, we start, I'm going to go get him. Then we switch to God, you go get him. And then we switch, then we switch into, let's love this person. Okay, so this really, these, these psalms and this thing really go into our thought patterns. My flesh says, I'm going to go get him. Then we get spiritual and say, God, go get them. And then we get truly spiritual and we say, God, teach me to love them. God, bless them. Anyway, help them. And David's, David's Psalms keep following this pattern. I've talked about that over and over. Complaint, I want to go get them. God, you go get them. No, God, let's, let's love them. The good news is whether we ask God to go get them or not, God is our defense and he will, he will get hold of them eventually. Mm -hmm. Or he'll take them home if they're a Christian and, not, and misbehaving and won't repent, he'll take them home. And that's something we want to be careful of too. And our part of this is we do not want to be joyful when somebody gets what's coming to them. That is the worst place that we can be. Yes, our flesh wants to say, oh boy, they got what they deserved. But we, if we're going to be truly following God, we should be heartbroken when somebody gets what they deserve. Because if we got what we deserved, we'd be in trouble. If we got what we deserved, we would be in, in serious trouble. And every one of us knows that. And I'm not just talking about hell. I'm talking about the consequences of what we deserve for, for how we behave. And God's graciousness keeps us from getting all the consequences we deserve for our sin. And as bad as things can get for our sins, he does not usually give us everything we deserve because of our sin. And we should be so thankful that he doesn't. The grace that he gives us needs to be expressed to others. And David goes on and says, let their, desolate, let their habitation be desolate. You think about desolate. Desolate means totally empty and, and void of life. Then let none dwell in their tents. He's getting pretty vicious here. Yeah, like one army 
I got wiped out. Yeah, that one I can't say. For they that persecute him whom you have smitten, they talk to the grief of those whom you have wounded. This is an interesting statement. He's talking about God, you have disciplined somebody, and then there's people who talk about them and make it worse. Now, we all know we don't like it when people talk about us and make it worse. How many times do we talk back about them and make it worse, try to make it worse on them? If you know, you're not careful. It's easy it's to do. It's very easy to do. It's another snapback. It's, it's just a snap, you know, it's, and it's bad enough if you do it in a very snap decision. But then you talk about it over and over and over and over and over again, trying to wound them in a deeper way, trying to wound somebody in a deeper way. And we all know people who do this kind of things, and hopefully none of us are doing this. But David's saying they're trying, those whom you've disciplined, they're trying to hurt more. This is powerful. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Now, this is pretty bad. David's not even wanting them to be forgiven. David is kind of forgiven that he's forgotten that he's been forgiven so much, and he's going, God, don't even forgive them. Uh, he, he said, he's, he, I, the, David so often will speak from the flesh on these things. You know, do this, God, do this. Don't, you know, keep them down. Verse 20, and let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be ridden with the righteous. Now, do you, do you all know what the book of the living is, the book of life? We've talked about it in a couple of classes here. The book of the life has a very specific meaning to it, to the Jewish people. When they went to war, every soldier wrote his name in the book of life. And as he was killed in battle, his name was scratched off the book of life. Because he wasn't alive anymore. When we are talking about the book of life, it means that God has given every person's name in there and then he scratches off those who reject him. They are blotted out of the book of life. So we want to be able to see this. This has a very specific meaning. I've, seen, I've heard all kinds of crazy things be said about this book of life. But it is a very specific term to the Jewish, belief, to the Jewish people. So when we're born, we're in the book of life mm -hmm. until we reject him by either not accepting him or... By not accepting him. By not accepting him, right. It's the only way your name is being taken out. And then your name is taken out and it doesn't get... And it's not it doesn't appear in the book of life. That's the unpardonable sin. You've gone no. too far. The unpardonable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ at the moment of your death. Right. Or at the, you know, up till the moment of your death. That's when you've committed the unpardonable sin. You've rejected Jesus Christ, who is the only way into heaven. So that would be like what you just said. At the end of your life, if you didn't accept it, then you're blotted out. You're blotted out. Not well, technically, because God knows the beginning from the end, yeah. he could have wrote the book and scratched our name off from the very beginning. So I'm not going to say exactly when it happened, but he knows what all of our decisions are, and he sees the beginning from the end. So as he's writing the book, he can go, oh, no, scratch that name. They're, 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 they're going to reject me. So again, it gets you into a whole other area of there. But we have the chance. We have chance after chance mm -hmm. after chance. Nobody's ever, nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. See, that's why I keep forgetting, not forgetting, but it's just amazing. And I like to say, when you're born, he knows from the day you die what you're going to do, but he can, you know, 
But we still, but he still gives chances. And his goal has always been to give, give grace, give chances, give opportunities. And he, you know, can you imagine giving all these opportunities, knowing that they're going to be rejected, knowing that they're going to be rejected? Now, I've had people that I am very sure are going to reject it, and sure enough, they usually do. But every once in a while, they'll surprise me. But nobody's going to surprise God. He's going to give them opportunities and enough opportunities that when they stand before him, it's not going to be just one time that they, they had an opportunity. It's going to be three, four, five, six, a dozen, 20, 30, whatever it takes. He's going to say, here you rejected me. Here you rejected me. Here you rejected me. Here you rejected me. Now you're getting what you asked for. You take those on the dark continents. And to me, a dark continent or a dark spot somewhere that doesn't know or has never heard of Christ. They have and the gospel message, though. Jesus said all they have to know is the wind comes. And I'm quoting my words. goes from nowhere and goes to nowhere. You can hear it. You can feel it. You can even smell it. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes to know there is a God. And I put a lot more words in that than he did. Every person will be judged according to what they know, and you will be surprised how much they know. The gospel has been presented from the very beginning of time. The gospel has been presented. The very first gospel message was in Genesis 3.15, that your seed will come, you know, that the seed would come and would crush the serpent's head, and he would bruise the, his heel. The very first Messianic statement the very first showing of their sinful nature was the slaying of the lamb to create the skin for them, that it took God to pay the price. And that is truly what the gospel is. God paid the price, and it's a free gift. And believe me, they know that. That's known by people. On Judgment Day, if I have a grandchild that hasn't accepted Christ, will I be able to hear them cry for me as they're put into hell? Don't know don't know. I heard a long sermon one time about people, you know, standing at the white throne judgment and looking around and go, why didn't you tell me? Yes. That is going to be a crucial place because they have every right to tell us at that point. You know, you were my friend, you were my, you were my aunt, you were my uncle, you were my father, you were my mother, you were my grandparent, and you didn't tell me about this? You know, that would be a very sad place to be, to never have shared with a relative especially. Never share with a friend because we're afraid that the friend might think we're a fanatic. So we don't share that they're going to hell. You know, I don't want you to think I'm a fanatic, so I'm just not going to tell you about Jesus. So we let them go to hell, and then they think about whatever it is they think about down there. And uh, uh, critical. Oh. I have a problem with some of my nephews. When I try to talk to them, they'll say, Grandma had us all. I mean, she taught us all. We, and At that point, you've done what you can. And then I, you can't get through to them. If, if they want to shut you off, then you've done what you can. But I, w I truly will encourage you, if you've got a friend that you've never shared the gospel with, share it at least one time with them, because if they don't want to believe it or not, that's fine. But you need to be able to be... Paul said, I am... I am not condemned of any man's blood. It's not the right word, but 
He says, I have told everybody. I have shared the gospel. I, there's nobody who's going to be able to tell me that I didn't tell them. You know, he wasn't worried about any man you know, being in there. He'd finished the work. And I want to encourage you, if you have not shared the gospel with your, your friends, your relatives, share it. it. Because I can guarantee they're going to hurt. I mean, it'd be one thing not to share with a stranger that you have no clue who they are. But to have your, a friend or a relative go to hell because you never opened your mouth to share the gospel with them is not a place to be. I can't understand how they feel that they're okay because Grandma took them to church. church. And this is told by a pastor one time they're riding on her shirt tail. Yes, they're riding on somebody else's. But I, I don't understand. But it is critical for us to at least share. And if they don't, if they reject it, we're not we're not required to lead everybody we talk to the Lord to the Lord. Their their decision is their decision. Greg Laurie is the one that Pastor brought in here on the big screen and everything. And he worried, if, he listened, if you could hear him on the radio, you'd know he worried about his mama all of his life, whether or not she was saved. And she finally told him when, I, that she, when she was a young woman, she got saved for him to quit worrying about her. And pretty much let him know this discussion is over. And he walked away not knowing, but she had closed, lovingly, gently, shut the door. And we want to be careful. I mean, we don't want to be so much with our friends that they're going to think, well, they're going to preach to me every time. But sharing it one time is not every time. But if God opens a door, do it. Even open some of those doors with your friends because you never know. You, you may just be planting the seed. You may be the one that gets to harvest the seed. Because you never know. Most people do not get saved the first time they hear the gospel. No. And it's just the way it is. It goes in one ear, out the other, and they, don't even, they never even hear the gospel the first time it's presented to them. And I've told you over and over how many times I've heard the testimony. And I got saved, and it was the first time I heard the gospel. And when it's somebody you know, it's kind of funny, because there's people that I know that even I had told the gospel to. And they're going, it's the first time I heard the gospel. And it's like, that's funny. I know that you, you heard it at least three or four times. And it has been said that each person needs to hear the gospel at least seven times before they get saved. Wow. And that's kind of a scary thought. And yet a comforting thought. Will I be the first time they've heard it? Or will I be the seventh time they've heard it? Right. And I get to pray with them and bring them to the Lord. I'm the one, though, that I don't which <laughs> but it is, it is something we want to be able to to be able to look at and say I am going to love God I'm going to share God I have shared, I have shared the gospel with just about everybody in my family that I know in, in, a, in a close way have I done a good job at some of them? no, some of them were a long time ago but I can say honestly the gospel has been shared whether they've accepted it or rejected it, that's between them and God. And even if they say they've accepted it, I've got family members that say they're saved, and you look at them and say, you never read the Bible, you never go to church, you never listen to God, you never, you know, and you're telling me you're saved. That's what I was speaking about with that word, yeah. pastor's mother. And not that I can judge them, because it is all by grace. If they truly meant the words, Jesus, I am a sinner, I deserve punishment, I need you, and they truly meant those words, they're saved. 
There'll be an infant crawling around heaven because they never grew. But I can't judge it. Because, and I also can't take somebody who says they're saved, you know, and say, well, I know you're saved. Now my spirit registers with certain people and I go, okay, yes, this person, I am very sure this person's saved because my spirit, you know, just joins and knits together with them because we're one. And I'm going, okay, I understand this person's saved. And there's certain people I can say, I really believe they're saved. There's others where I go, I don't know. <laughs> That's between them and God. I'm going to keep teaching. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to encourage to grow. But sometimes it takes a long time to get to that growth point. And some people grow faster than others. I'm, I've always been amazed when somebody gets saved and immediately their whole life changes overnight. And I've seen it. Oh, I've seen plenty of times. I wasn't one of them. I, I, had, I, had, I had one big change in my life, which was my temper, but it took me a long time to grow in other areas. And God has had to beat me over the head many times to change me. And so I can't say that I'm, I'm less saved or I'm not as saved as that person whose life was changed completely. Because that's really the rarity. Having their life dramatically changed is a rarity. And a lot of that is that they are ready to just give God everything. They are ready to give God everything. Most of us take a long time to get to that surrender point. Can I say something as a testimony? It's a horrible testimony. And it is real. One of the things that kept stumbling me with sin was being raised not to tell an adult no, especially a man. A man is man. I mean, they're men. That got me in more trouble till one day on the side of the mountain up here, I screamed at the top of my lungs, do you not understand? No. And that sin became... It no longer is a hurdle. Is it still there? I'm sure it is. But I know now with Christ I can handle it. And no is not a word that I have to be afraid to use. It's my right to use that word. It's my right to say no. No, this this is going to offend you. I have a problem with that then because you have no idea what it's going to do to me. No. And no, and no is a word that we need to, to be able to use. And when people are doing things that are going to be harmful, we need to be able to say no. Yes. And I've said it over and all. One of the biggest problems in the church are that people see a need in the church and they say yes with, when God is telling them no, that's not for you. And then they get burnt out by church work. And then you'll hear things like, man, I just did everything in the church and I am so tired. I don't want to, I want, don't want to do anything in the church. And I'm the type of person that unless God is telling you to do something, I don't want you doing it. And the biggest reason is if you're doing it and God brings the person who is supposed to be doing it in, all of a sudden they're looking around saying, well, I thought I was supposed to do this, and, but it's already being done, so this must not be the place I'm supposed to be. That's why I let everybody know I'm not the Sunday school teacher. I'm just online. And one of these days the Sunday school teacher is going to get here, and when they do, I'll skip them. But, I made my floors, but I'll step down. <laughs> but it's important for us to not burn ourselves out. And believe me, I did the same thing when I was young. I did anything, everything, and said, said yes to everything. And God's saying, what are you doing? You know, as, I'm, as I'm griping to him about doing all these things, God says, well, stop doing some. <laughs> now, then I went too far the other way, and I've kind of gotten back to a balance now. So <laughs> back to really. where I'm supposed to be. You're pretty full. 
but I'm not doing anything that I don't think God wants me to do. And it pleasures and, you. And I enjoy it. I enjoy it. If you're doing something for God and you're always grumbling about what it is you're doing, you're probably not doing what he wants. Because when you're doing what he wants, I'm not saying there's not going to be hard times when you're going to say, boy, this is trouble and difficult. But when you're doing what he wants, there's a lot of pleasure in it. It's a lot of ease. And I've shared this. When I left College Park, I found out how much I was doing for, for, for the church. And I just enjoyed doing it. I never felt like I was abused or anything. But it was pretty bad when it took seven people to replace what I was doing. <laughs> and everybody kept going, you're doing so much. And I never felt like I was doing so much over there because I was doing what God had me do. And I was just enjoying everything. And I never felt abused. I never felt like I was doing too much. But it's so important to do what God is telling us to do. And if God is telling you to do something, even if we're not doing it and you feel God saying we're supposed to let me know, we'll, we'll help you get it started. Because if God's telling you that we need to do something, we need to do it. And if you think you're the one that should be helping to get it started, then praise God, because I can't do anything more. You know, when I wanted to do the Operation Christmas Child, I said it right out in the service. If we want to do this, somebody needs to step up and do this because I can't do any more than I'm doing. And I enjoy everything that I'm doing. I'm not griping at all about what I'm doing, but I can't add any new jobs to what I do without stressing myself out. So I want to say, you know, anything we want to do, let's get it started. But I can't, I can't be the one leading it. I will help, I will direct, I will advise, but I cannot do more. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be there. I'm a teacher. I, I know that that's what I do. I get to teach five times a week. I tell that to my, some of my pastor's friends, and they just about collapse. They go, how can you do that? Because that's what I do. It's who God made me to be. And being able to step out and do what he wants me to do and grow in it and, and lead in it. And I have fun doing it. But God says, what are you going to do? What is, and I've said it over and over. I believe that every person in a church has something that God is telling them to do. They're part of the body. There's something they are supposed to do. It could be behind the scenes. It could be in the front. It could be whatever it might be. But there's something that all of us are supposed to do. Logging the wheel. What's that? Doug gave me an, an article one time, but clogging the wheel. You can't see it. It's messy. But try driving that car without that clogging the wheel. Without the gears, yeah. And that's important. We need prayer warriors. And I mean true prayer warriors. I hear a lot of people saying they're a prayer warrior, and they're not a prayer warrior. I mean, I, I, I pray, but I'm not a prayer warrior. Uh, my prayers have been answered. I pray for the sick and they get healed quite often, but I don't, I'm not, I don't consider myself a prayer warrior. Uh, when we saw the movie War Room, that was a prayer warrior being presented. Somebody who's behind the scenes, nobody will ever know that they're praying. Right. And, but God is using their prayers and they've got lots of rewards because of it. They're the ones that get the man that's out of work with a family of five a job. They're the ones that get the new carpet when there's holes in it. They're the ones that they're the ones that give God and there are very few true prayer warriors. A lot of people will try to tell you, Well, I'm the prayer warrior, I'm so I'm not doing anything in church. Well, okay, tell me all the prayers that you're getting answered and I'll tell you right. uh, and we'll determine whether you're a prayer warrior or not. But there's so much in a church that gets done behind the scenes that nobody knows. 
the organization of something, just even the packing of the bags that we did for the for the mm -hmm. for the uh, parade and everything, and and the giving. Some people are real givers. Some people just give the bare minimum that God tells them to give. Other people are really givers, and they just you know, and they need to be tempered sometimes. But <laughs> there are people who are just truly givers, and they're just going to give. There are people that are prayer warriors. There are people that are willing to do the little things. Like Loretta, back before all the things happened, keeping all the weeds out of this property, which is, which is probably the hardest job I could ever imagine anybody doing, but she enjoyed every moment of it. You know, we need another weed puller in the church. We need, you know, we need the cleaners of the church. We need... She's just looking across the page from where we're at. But I don't know why they caught my eye. I thought, oh, what's the fuck are you My ears really angry. And I'm old. But our strength, and our strength does. No. And it is amazing to watch God work and watch him move. Let's go ahead and pray because we're past time, so. What do I feel my power? You have. Yes. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us, you care for us, you've shown us what you want. Help us to see more. Lord, help us to move beyond the, the physical and the fleshly answers to problems and help us to, to, to operate in the spiritual realm to love as you love, to give mercy as you give mercy, to, to give grace as you give grace. Help us to go forward in all of that. In your son's precious name, amen. amen.